Warning, this podcast may contain explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Noisemaker Podcast, where we interview bands that you may have never found anywhere else. We are your number one spot for discovering all new music. Get to know artists, understand what drives them, and hear from some of their top tracks. Join me, your host, Rocky Ferenberg, as we give rise to the underground world of music and set out to do what so many others have failed to, be a staple for the independent musician. Now... Let's make some noise.
right, everyone, welcome back. This is episode 52 of the Noisemaker Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you're returning, then thank you. If you like what we're doing here, please like, subscribe, and rate us with a five-star review. We are on all your favorite streaming platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us at Facebook and Twitter at NoisemakerPod. This is the Noisemaker Podcast, where we help you with that horrible problem that we all face, where to find new and original music. On the line with me is Tony Campanella. How you doing, Tony? I'm great, Rocky. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a, it's been a little while in the making here, huh? Yeah, you know, sometimes schedules being <laughs> what they are. That's for I'm sure. I'm happy that we finally got to do it, though. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was doing, I, I missed an episode last week, so I had to sit here and do uh, two episodes. And uh, I've been sitting on this wooden chair because my nice uh, office chair was um, upstairs in the living room because uh, throughout my wife's pregnancy, it was the chair she wanted to sit in. But I think the uh, now that we've had the baby, I think it's about time we bring the uh, the chair back down to my, my office space. Has she given it back yet, though? Um. Not formally. It's just sitting in the other room, not being used. So maybe if I sneak, uh, maybe if I sneak it, she won't notice. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on the baby. Well, thank you very much. Um, let's jump in here. This is a. Uh, um, typically, what I like to do is kind of get a, um, kind of get to know who the other people are in the band and give credit where credit to do. Um, but the the name of the band is actually the Tony Campanella Band, right? Um, kind of. R- really, just going now by Tony Campanella. Okay. Okay. Uh, there was uh, for a long time, probably fifteen years, uh, before the record deal. Uh, I went. We went by the Tony Campanella Band, but officially now, it's just Tony Campanella. Okay, um, so who else is in the band? Who else helps make a make a, a Tony Campanella sound like Tony Campanella? So on the record, uh, we actually used uh, Mike Zito's rhythm section, Terry Dry, and Matt Johnson, and and then had Lewis Stevens on on uh, keys and Hammond, and Mike played some rhythm guitars on the record too uh in a live situation i've got brian zeely on drums uh doug burkett on bass and they are both veterans uh like me in the st louis music scene uh they have their own band also called odds lane who just uh signed with um mike zito's record label gulf coast records uh, so they are now label brothers. Nice. And uh, when we need keyboards live, I have a great friend of mine here, local player, tremendous player, Rocky Mantia. Uh, Shout out to the other Rocky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's few of us out there. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, so, so that's that's our live setup. But the record was was uh done with with mike's touring band actually 
Nice. Well, you uh, you actually just released a CD, which is going to be um, uh, all the songs we're going to hear today are going to be off that new album. Uh, you know how you just did the CD release party and everything. How how did that go? How was that? Oh, the CD release party was was tremendous. Um, <laughs> nice. Played at played at a club here in St. Louis called the Duck Room. It's about a oh about a three hundred and fifty seat room. We sold it out. Sweet man, that's so which cool. Was, which was awesome. Great crowd. Um, yeah, I've been playing in St. Louis for about thirty years now, professionally anyway, and I can say that it is for my first kind of solo show uh, in a room that size. We sold it out, so I'm pretty pretty proud of that, and very thankful for uh the people friends who have been following me for 30 years uh they all came out in force and it was uh it was it was pretty pretty emotional night really yeah. uh felt really really good band sounded great uh and you know when the when the crowd is when the crowd is responding to what you're doing, just makes you step it up. Oh yeah, it's even more magical whenever that happens. You know, the uh, yeah. we're actually getting ready to release our album um, in July, and uh, we have it set up at about a 300 person venue as well. So, hoping that we can sell it out. The band's been a band around here for about six years or so. So we're hoping. <clears throat> excuse me. We're hoping to to sell it out too because that would just be the, the the coolest thing to to do in this area you know so yeah it's it it is magical when you have uh you know we we do what we do as musicians because we we love to do it and to get that response to what you're doing just makes things all the more magical and to get that connection between musicians and crowd and and you know things just get to a fever pitch almost uh when when you've got a full house like that so i wish you guys the best of luck well thank you tony uh softball question here for you uh yeah so simple standard question uh why the blues um well i i started playing when i was 11 and uh, my uncles, I have three of them, were very influential in uh, my musical upbringing. Uh, one of my uncles, my Uncle Pete, actually gave me the first guitar that I ever had. Uh, it was an old Harmony, Stella Harmony acoustic guitar. Uh, a tough rig to learn on, let's put yeah, it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I uh, I went and bought a Mel Bay beginning guitar book back when they still printed such things <laughs> and uh, taught myself how to string it, tune it, learn some chords. And then my uncles just fed me music. Nice. And that's what they listened to. You know, it was here. Here's I can remember one of the first ones was. Uh, an album called Live and Burning by Sun Seals. 
And awesome. uh, my uncle said, here, take this home. Start listening. And so they would just feed me stuff uh, weekly almost. Albert King, Freddie King, Albert Collins. Uh, and then Stevie Ray Vaughan came on the scene back in the early 80s is when I discovered him. Um, he was actually on TV here on the local PBS station, his first appearance on Austin City Limits. And, and if I had to pinpoint a, a place in time where I said, this is, this is what I want to do, it was watching that show. I just knew then, wow, that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> There's always that, that magical moment where uh, musicians decide, you know, this, this is really, this is uh, either a, a passion hobby of mine or uh, this is something I want to do, you know, <clears throat> to make money. I think most musicians yeah. want, always want to do it as a form of income, but the... Uh, the business of music and in the business of art in general is so incredibly cutthroat that uh you know it everybody can't make it you know what i mean um, yeah but the the song we heard at the top of the show was called taking it to the streets you want to kind of tell us about what that song's about sure so that was actually one that um after i signed the deal with with gulf coast and and I'll preface this by saying Mike Zito and I go back probably 25 years when, uh, you know, we both grew up in St. Louis. We're both about the same age. He's a few years younger than me, but uh, we were both kind of in the scene at the same time. So I got to know Mike and become friends with him back then. And it took well, we've been talking about making a record together for about five years and oh, wow. timing, timing was just never right. And when he, uh, started the label, he came to me back in November and said, I'm starting this label. I want you to be the first act we sign and we are finally going to make this record together. <laughs> so after all of that happens, uh, I show up down to his studio in Texas. And he has written this song uh, specifically for me and for the record. And, and it's, it, lyrically, it kind of talks about, oh, my path from beginning to play up until I have this opportunity now at 50 years old to make a record and kind of take my music to the street um, and get our hope is that we'll be getting out of St. Louis some and kind of expanding uh, at least regionally uh, to kind of get our music out there. So the song, while Mike wrote it, he wrote it with me and this whole experience in mind. So that's where the, the 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 title "Taking It to the Street" comes from. 
Great. Well, the next song we're going to hear is called uh, One Foot in the Blues. You want to kind of do the same thing for us? Kind of tell us a little bit about what that song's about? Sure. So that was that was one that I wrote, oh, many years ago. And, oh, it was during kind of a dark time in a relationship. And um, it was just kind of my way of, of doing a little uh self-psychology <laughs> yeah of course. Uh, trying to trying to let go of of that bad situation that dark time and so that that was kind of the birth of that song great this is going to be tony campanella one foot in the blues <laughs>
now it's over You got no more time to choose Well now it's over back with tony campanella and the next question i had for you was uh you know your music has certainly been influenced by blues which we've uh you know talked about in the last section um but it is a little bit heavier uh, almost kind of classic rock it still has soul to it as well um so tell us a little bit about how you uh have crafted your sound over all these years well obviously blues is is kind of the foundation and that is again where i where i cut my teeth uh as i was growing as a player but you know being being a teenager in in uh the 80s and going back and listening to a lot of the the rock of that time whether it was going back to you know, 70s Zeppelin, Hendrix, Robin Trower, uh, or even in the 80s with, you know, stuff like Van Halen. I was a, I, I was also a, a big rock fan. And, and so it was kind of the stuff that I listened to, the stuff that I, I, I really dug as a player. That's all kind of what came into who I became as a guitar player. So all of those influences end up coming out through my hands, I guess. <laughs> the uh, the walls of genres have been torn down over uh, decades. Uh, you know, rap, rock, pop, country, and tons and tons of others. Um, but since... You have a very combined style. Um, how do you think the blues of yesterday compares with the mixed genres of blues uh, styles today? Well, I think the biggest the biggest thing uh, that that we need to look at as blues or blues rock artists is uh, kind of the history of that music and where from where it came, but also why it came and there's definitely uh a connection to the blues and the struggle of of african americans in this country i think that 
with the fusion of of rock into the blues, sometimes that can be lost. I think as as blues players, we owe it to ourselves, and we owe it to the community to at least look back and have an understanding of of where all of this stuff came from and why it came about. And it's really about the struggle of of the African American community in the United States. So I try as best I can as a uh, a guy who was raised in a middle class white family to have some understanding of the origins of of the blues and where and why. Yeah, history definitely plays an important role on I mean the future. I mean it, it, that's that's definitely goes without saying. That's that's certainly true. And you're 100% correct on the the struggles that African Americans had especially with basically the uh the robbing of a uh, style of music, you know, or the, I guess, uh, cultural appropriation, whatever the term would be today, you know. Right. Um, so I don't, I think that's uh, very important. And there's, there's probably a large amount of people that um, are influenced by the blues um, that don't necessarily pay much attention to the, the history there. I think that's a pretty good point. Um, yeah, we need to, we need to respect it. We need to show our respect for it. And then, uh you know it doesn't have to be a cultural appropriation we we need to pay respect for the origins of this genre of music regardless of of uh how it may have mixed with rock as as it has in my playing there still has to be a respect for for the foundation. Yeah. So one of the things that I do like to dive into um, and pick people's brains about, since I am uh, more of a lyricist than probably anything else, uh, is is the writing process. So if we were going to sit in on a uh, Tony Campanella writing process, uh, what would that look like? Well, for me, writing has never been it's never come naturally or easily for me. So I, I know guys out there that can, you know, they're cranking out <laughs> song after song, after <laughs> song, after song, you know, yeah. 15 songs a day. It, it might take me five years to write 15 songs. <laughs> so for me, the songwriting process is sometimes it starts with, a chord progression um, and I think oh wow that that that's that's kind of cool or sometimes it's a groove and I say oh I like that groove and then I I kind of put that stuff together and then then sit down and this is usually the hardest part is sitting down and and formulating the lyrics for the song and a lot, most of the time, that just comes from a bit of soul searching, if you will. And it it it's almost always driven by 
some sort of emotion that I'm going through at the time or have been through. Uh, and then, then the lyrics come up, but it, it, it has never been, um, an easy process for me. It's always, it's always time consuming. Uh, I much, I much prefer to just get out and play. Uh, but we want to do original music as much as we can. Oh yeah. So, so, um, it is something that, uh, I work at, I try to get better at, I have some, I have some good, um, mentors in guys like Mike Zito, guys like Jeremiah Johnson, um, guys like Pat and Danny Liston, who were from a, a big, uh, 70s, uh, kind of blues rock band in St. Louis. And they had some, they were big nationally for a bit in the 70s. And that was Mama's Pride. They were kind of the, that coming up in the music scene in St. Louis in the uh, late 80s, those guys had made their mark. And they were kind of, when you were out playing, uh, playing in clubs and, and trying to, to be successful that those guys were kind of the guys you looked at. So to, to, to have them now as friends and, and mentors in the songwriting process, it it's, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. It's, it's always great to have uh, somebody in the uh, music scene, especially in your area that uh, can help, you know, kind of guide you or be mentor, even if it's not necessarily in the traditional sense of what a mentor uh, might be. But um, the next song that we are going to hear is called You Don't Know. You want to give us the rundown on what that song's about? Well, uh, that one came out of kind of the same period in my life as One Fit in the Blues did. <laughs> and, uh, and it was... Uh, if you listen to the lyrics, it's pretty clear what was going on at the time. And, uh, again, it was just kind of my way of, of dealing with, with what was happening at the time and, and just kind of getting it, getting it out of me, I guess. But, you know, it's, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, bad relationship song <laughs> yeah <laughs> well what, what is it uh something like 95 percent of songs are are written about love whether it's good or bad or positive or negative something like that yes yeah <laughs> well great this is gonna be tony campanella you don't know But I see 
back uh, just a few more moments here with uh, Tony Campanella and uh, so of course I have to ask um, fair I mean decent sized city obviously but uh, and I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of uh, uh, talent out there but um, and you've been playing there for a while so how's uh, this the St. Louis music scene is it uh, pretty good a lot of competition is it kind of cutthroat I mean what give us a little bit of insight onto uh, into the St. Louis music scene well, it, it is, um, man, there's so much talent here and it's been that way. You know, I've been, I've been playing in the St. Louis scene for 30 years and the amount of talent 
just keeps growing. Um, but with all of that talent, it, it has never been, uh, it has never been a cutthroat kind of thing. Everybody, it, it is, is the tight community. Let's, let's say that it's a tight community. Uh, everybody for the most part is supportive of everybody else. That's cool. Um, there, you know, there's an area in St. Louis that when I was coming up in the nineties, an area called Soulard, which is kind of Sou- uh, St. Louis's French quarter, if you want to compare it to something, but you know, back, back in the nineties, there were probably 15, 20 bars that had live blues or blues rock at least five nights a week. Nice. And so we, you know, I spent, I spent a a great amount of my time in that area. And one bar in particular, the 1860 saloon, uh, I pretty much had a, a residence there for 25 years. Uh, but at, at that time, you could, you know, we'd go on break and we'd walk down to the next corner and check out the band that was playing there and maybe get up and play a song with them. That's really and cool. And then when they would take a break, they'd come up the street and see us. And it was, it was a very, uh, very friendly community atmosphere and it it still remains that way even though uh you know the number of live music clubs has decreased over the years as happened as happened in most cities um yeah there's still a very tight-knit musical community here across all genres really so it, it it's it's really good here and Unlike, uh, you think the big cities for music, Nashville, New York, LA, Austin, Dallas, you know, those places, they aren't fortunate enough as musicians to have clubs that actually pay a decent wage (laughs) for bands. A lot of those places you're playing, you're playing for tip Or, Um, or you're paying to play. Or you're paying to play. And in St. Louis, we, we are very fortunate that um, clubs will will still pay you to perform in their venues. So uh, we are very fortunate here to have that luxury compared to other other music cities. Yeah, we here in southern Idaho, we're not we're not considered a music city at all but it's it the what you just described in St. Louis on a more micro scale is uh what we have here uh it's it's really a tight knit uh group of people and we people really help one another here and um it's a beautiful thing it makes the it makes a music community feel like a community rather than feel like you know like you've got to yeah be be cutthroat like you got to fight the whole time in order to make it and so it makes right it makes the playing and the whole experience of being a musician uh far more satisfying than it would be to have to fight the whole time so uh 
but you know, in in all these this thirty years that you've been playing, um, I saw that you've opened for some uh, you know pretty big bands, uh, Deep Purple, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Uh, can you share a little bit about these experiences? You know, obviously playing in in the bars and stuff like that, but also playing on some some bigger stages with some uh, bigger name acts. Yeah. So, so I, in general, when when you're a local band that that gets the good fortune of opening for a national or international act, uh, it, it you know you're you're on a big stage, which is quite a bit different than um playing in a in a club in Soulard. Uh you're in front of a bunch of people who probably haven't seen you before or or they may have some knowledge of you but they may not be coming out to see you all the time. So you're yeah. in you're in front of it's a great opportunity to make some new fans on a local level. Um Usually there there's not a lot of contact between you and and the headliner. Yeah. Uh but I will say one story in particular, one time in particular that really sticks out was uh when we got the opportunity to open for Deep Purple. And this is yes, the you know, British rock royalty Deep Purple. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what I said to, uh, I got a call from, from the venue. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon. And they said, Hey, um, would you be available to open for deep purple tonight? And I had to ask them, I'm, I said like the deep purple, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. British rock royalty, deep purple. <laughs> and they said, yeah. And so of course the answer was yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, if I can't find my guys, I'll find somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was not missing that. And and uh the guys in the band at the time were ecstatic also. Uh but this was the the one time in in any time that I've done like an opener as a as a local act for a national international touring act. We played our set and we're walking off, we're coming off stage, and there's the entire band lined up <laughs> cool. side stage to shake our hand and tell us what a what a what a great set we played. Uh and that was uh, that was amazing. And then afterwards, they did their set, they came off stage. We actually got to hang out for probably an hour with with the guys from Deep Purple and and just talk about we didn't talk about music. We talked about fishing. Oh yeah. And, and we talked like Roger Glover for instance, he was he was blown away that in St. Louis we could go down to the Duck Room club here in St. Louis and see Chuck Berry play. <laughs> when Chuck when when Chuck was still alive and playing, he had a uh you know, he did one show a month at the Duck Room. And they were they were amazed as as uh somebody from as somebody from Great Britain that we had the luxury of going down the street basically and seeing Chuck Berry 
once a month if we wanted to. That's cool. That's way cool. Yeah. The, yeah. The um, that's what I've learned a lot is well, first of all, it's it's always great being a musician and knowing that the uh national touring band is is actually listening to your set they're actually paying attention to you as a musician um but furthermore it's it's been my experience whenever i get a chance to talk with these guys most of these guys uh are not really interested in talking about music as as much as it seems their life is consumed in music really they yeah they want to talk about hunting and fishing they want to talk about um you know places that they've eaten or you know experiences they've had they they almost never sit down to talk about music with the other musicians no. and that's all that has always been kind of a a strange phenomenon um yeah but, the last thing they want to talk about is their rig yeah right <laughs> <laughs> so the the next section i have here kind of um kind of designed for it to be a place for shout outs plugs uh anything like that but also if i might have missed anything something you might want to have uh talked about or addressed uh you this is all for you so have at it bud okay so yeah obviously i want to give a shout out to gulf coast records and to guy hale and to my longtime friend mike zito uh without mike you know the I've been waiting 30 years to make a record <laughs> and without Mike reaching out and making this happen, I'd still be waiting. So for, for, for me, I could not be more thankful or more grateful to Mike for giving me this opportunity uh, for producing a great record uh i've never worked in a studio situation and it's i learned that it's completely different than playing a live show <laughs> that vastly different it is incredibly different and and mike knowing that i was uh green at this you know he has he has great ideas um you know he he wrote some great songs for the record uh he helped me tweak the stuff that i brought in uh to record for the record just little little things and 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 not like ramming ideas down my throat but saying hey you know we were lis we're listening um what if we tried this here and it was just little little tweaks that kind of it was almost like yeah that's what i was hearing in my head but i wasn't sure how to get there that's what a and great... he was able to get he was able to get me there and then not just that but when you know it's an independent label we're working on a limited budget and he really showed me how to uh keep focused and keep the workflow going because we we did 11 songs in two and a half days oh wow so so there wasn't there wasn't a lot of of downtime it was get in there let's get this done 
uh, get, make, you know, go in, make sure that all of the, all of the, the rhythm section parts are spot on. Um, and then go back and nail your vocals, nail your guitar parts. Um, to have Mike there for that, to kind of help keep me focused and say, you know, I like what you did there, but Let's do another take, and I want you to try this instead. Uh, that kind of guidance. It really shows when you listen to the record what a fabulous producer Mike is. In addition to a songwriter and singer and guitar player, Mike's a tremendous producer. So, well, that is... I, again, I can't be thankful enough to him and to Guy Hale for giving me this opportunity. And I, I also need to give a shout out to Terry Dry, to Matt Johnson, and to Lewis Stevens for uh, making the record sound great. And they just played their asses off. And, and uh, Terry and Matt in the studio with me, uh, almost an instant good vibe together. And when you get that with other musicians, you know the product at the end is going to be really good. Yeah, when you have somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, when you have somebody in the studio, um, a a producer, sound engineer, uh, it, what you're describing is what everybody needs to have when they walk into the studio. That's that is the most important part about making an album is, is who you have as the producer and the sound engineer on the album. Um, you know, a lot of people think that it's all about the musician, but it's, it's really not. It's about the person that is producing and recording your album because it's, it is the little ideas, but it's also what they do with the product once you've done your part. And so, yeah, yes. having somebody in the in the booth who, who knows what they're doing or at least well, they have to know what they're doing, but it, but they also have to not just sound wise know what they're doing, but they have to know what they're doing in producing an album. And it's it's uh it's tricky to <laughs> it's tricky to find those 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 golden calves. You know what I mean? Yes, I I, I was very uh, again I'll say fortunate, very fortunate. Um, you know, Mike. The post-production part of it was was unbelievable. Even after we had all our parts done, just you know the mix that that he put on the record, uh, the sounds that he was hearing as a producer, and and having those come out in post-production, it really made. I'm regardless of the playing. The playing is what the playing is. It's capturing. A moment in time but the work that he did in the mix regardless of the playing the record just sounds good well yeah let's let's uh let's kind of wrap uh wrap this up here what the last song that we had here here is uh mr cleanhead you want to kind of give us a rundown on what what that song is about okay so this is this is an old old eddie cleanhead vincent song and um if you know me or you look at any pictures on facebook you'll know that i'm follically challenged 
So uh, <laughs> that almost it, sounded really dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I actually there was a a longtime local guitar player here in St. Louis named Jimmy Lee Kennett, and Jimmy was uh, he played in the same clubs that I was playing in. We became friends. Uh, he used to do this song all the time. And when he passed away a few years ago, uh, we had kind of a celebration of life for him. And I picked up this song as kind of a tribute to him. But being that I'm also bald, <laughs> uh, it, it it kind of became a theme song for me from that point on. So I've just been playing it, and and it it was just a fun thing to do uh, on the record, a fun cover, just a good good blues song. Great. Well, this is going to be Tony Campanella, Mister Cleanhead. Mr. Clean Hand Just because my head is bald Some folks call me Mr. Clean Hand Just because my head is bald
stars are getting winter. My head starts feeling kinda cold. I try to grow some hair up there, but I can't save my soul. But when it starts to get in summer, my head starts looking nice and tan. That's when the women come a running, screaming, Where is my fallen man? Some folks call me Mr. Clean Hand, and I've been this way a long, long time. Don't you worry, brother, no, no Brother, you get yours Baby, no, I'm gonna get mine All right, I hope everybody enjoyed my uh, interview with Tony Campanella. Um, the real big thing that sticks out with this interview is um, how authentic he was and how grateful tony was towards uh zito and uh you know i mean that was the thing that really resonates with me and sometimes in these podcasts it feels like things can drag on um and it feels rough you know trying to get to the end but commonly i find some of the most um valuable stuff comes at the end of the show and i think that's because by the end of the show, people are a lot more relaxed. They're a lot more, you know, about, you know, kind of opening up and they have their guard down a lot more. And I think that it was really seen with Tony here and his uh, undying gratefulness to uh, Mike for what he did for him. I think that it's it's important for somebody who has contributed as much as they have to a music scene to be able to produce an album, put out an album. It almost makes me feel unworthy to be putting out my second album when there's people that have talent like Tony does and they haven't put out an album, a first album they put out in 30 years, the only album they have. It's, it's, it's just... It's unbelievable, and it was definitely the part of the interview that really, really touched my heart. So congratulations, Tony, on the album. You deserve it. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe, and give us a five-star review. I've included links to Tony's music in the show notes. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at NoiseMakerPod. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at noisemakerpod at gmail.com. And until next time, don't stop following your dreams.